0: it takes time like good marketing takes time and it's doing a lot of little things again and again and again over time and it's those those things that you do over time that really add up and and move the needle for you.
1: Bonjour, bonjour, welcome to everyonehatesmarketers.com. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. EveryoneHatesMarketer.com is a podcast for digital marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I interview no-nonsense marketers who are not afraid to cut through the bullshit and say things as they are. So during this show, we learn how to get more visitors, more leads, more customers, more long-term profits by using good marketing, by treating people the way we like to be treated. Uh, head over to everyonehatesmarketers.com to subscribe to the email list. Uh, we'll be will notify you before anybody else of our future guests. Uh, you'll also help us to come up with great questions for the future guests. Uh, you'll also get access to uh, the numbers in terms of number of listens and downloads of the podcast. And also quite simply to have great one-to-one conversation if you need any help. In episode number four of everyonehatesmarketers.com, I interviewed John Doherty from getcredo.com. Credo Credo is a marketplace to find SEO experts. So if you are a business and you're looking for a very good SEO consultant, you should really go to getcredo.com. John actually selects all of those people manually. He actually interviews them one by one to find the best SEO experts in the the world uh, that you can have uh, work for your business. Uh, Rand fishkin actually says that it was one of the best place to find an seo guy online or seo girl online so it's pretty cool so i interviewed john i had a lot of fun uh, he's a very transparent guy so you learn his story and you learn a few things about himself that not a lot of people would like to share but he did uh, you're going to learn how he learned his craft using different resources you're going to learn why good marketing takes time and when to outsource and when not to outsource. Plus plenty of other things. I don't want to spoil the fun. So have a listen and let me know what you think.
0: Hi, John. Hey, Lewis. How's it going?
1: Pretty good. Thanks for coming and thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. So the first question I wanted to ask you, is it better to to lead a team of growth marketers or is it better to hike with your wife
0: Courtney and your and your dog uh, Butterbean? Oh, that's a great it's a great question. It depends on the mood that I'm in. No, I'm I'm kidding. I uh I love both. I mean, I I've, I've definitely had the chance to build, you know, awesome teams and work with some very smart people at Distilled and Hot Pads and places like that that I've worked, but I very much believe in work life. I call it integration. So, I enjoy being able to, to travel and, and you know go hiking and camping with my wife and my dog and at the same time be able to run my company. So actually right now, it's uh, November 2nd when we're recording this. I'm actually in Prague right now. I'm on a three and a half week around the, the world trip with my wife, going to a bunch of cities in Europe and then going to Japan for a week and kind of working as I go as well. So I love being able to, to do both at the same time when possible.
1: I have a burning question for you. How did you come up with the name Butterbeen?
0: Butterbean, it's a great question. So it's uh, an inside joke between my wife and I. Very early on, my wife saw a, a Tumblr called my L Bean boyfriend where it had a, it basically like photos of men wearing plaids, saying things that like every girlfriend wants to hear. And there was, a, there was one where uh, there was a reference to their dog named Butter. Um, and my wife and I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And so when we, uh, when we got our dog, we named him we named him Butterbean, but we call him Butter. So it was a, an inside joke. And
1: is it a she or a he? the dog. It's a, he
0: he's a, he's a hundred pound, uh, Labrador mix. So okay. he's, he's huge.
1: For the listeners, we will share pictures in the notes anyway of the dog. Cause it's a beautiful dog. Uh, I've seen Thank it you. on Instagram. He's, he's fun. And he has his own social media accounts, doesn't
0: he? He doesn't have his own social media no. accounts. He does have his own hashtag on Instagram. He has his own Bean hashtag. Cam, uh, Cause we call him Bean a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yes, that's, that's, you can recognize a, a growth marketer when, when he does this side of stuff. It's like <laughs> nobody else does that. So yeah. yeah. Right. So talking about growth marketing. So you've been a growth marketer for quite a few years now. You have quite a, a lot of experience in SEO in particular. So you were in companies like D-Steel, Zillow, Trillia. Uh, lately the last kind of full-time position you had was in San Francisco. And as you mentioned, you just moved to Colorado. So I want to know more of. What happened when just before you launched Credo in November two thousand and fifteen? Uh, you share that on the blog, uh, but the, I think the listeners will be interested in hearing this side of the story.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I had been working within uh, Zillow Group, which is kind of the the parent company for all their different brands. They have about ten brands, both consumer and B two B. So I've been been working on I've been running marketing and growth for a couple of their brands. First on Hotpads for about eighteen months, built a team there and. We saw great you know, traction and their traffic is just absolutely incredible now off the back of that work. And then ran growth on Trulia Rentals, uh, overseeing SEO and email for about five months. Yeah, and basically, I mean, just to put it bluntly, I got laid off. I had been at Trulia for about five months and went on vacation and some things moved around while I was there and came back and was informed the next day that my position had been eliminated. So it was a little bit, a little bit out of the blue, but at the same time, I was not super happy there at the time. I love the Zillow team, Zillow Execs are incredible, um, incredible people. is an incredible, you know, organization to work um to work inside of. But me personally, I wasn't um super happy and um was kind of ready to go and and do something different. Um I had been thinking about what that was, and then, you know, it was getting a little bit of a push out the nest, as it were. And um I had just been on vacation. Um, had been rereading The Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, um, which is one of my, my favorite books. I think a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, people who travel and do their own thing, it's kind of their, uh, you know, their Bible. Um, so that book has, has changed my life a couple different times. First, when I read it in 2008, and then, um, again last year, and I started kind of putting together my plan for going out, and going and doing my own thing. And I had this business going that at the time it was called Higher Gun. Uh, I rebranded it this past January um, for some other reasons that we can get into. But uh, yeah, I've been wanting to double down on it. And I got laid off on Monday, the 28th of September. And the next day, uh, my wife was kind of like where she asked me straight up. She's like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I think I want to do my own thing. I think I want to give this business a go. And and she basically said, "Okay, make it work. And so that's that's what I did. I, I doubled down and had signed a, I signed a couple of consulting clients within a couple of weeks and started working on the, on the software platform. And, you know, a little over a year on now, I've, you know, been supporting myself and built a, you know, a successful software business, you know, it's still early days, but, you know, it's paying the bills and I'm happy doing it and it's making a difference in the industry. So yeah, that's, that's what happened. And I, and I wrote pretty in depth about it. I think back in January on my own uh, personal site, johnfdaugherty.com. So um, you can read the, the full, the full story there.
1: Yeah, we, and we'll obviously link, uh, this article and all the stuff you mentioned in, in the notes so people can, can check that. So to come back to the timeline, first of all, I want to thank you for sharing that. I know you've been sharing that on the blog, so it's not the first time you're sharing that, but I think it's important for people out there to understand that even if they get laid off, it's not the end of the world and they will be able to bounce off and, and, and do their own thing if, if it's really what they, what they want. So to clarify the timeline, the idea of Credo came before you you got laid off correct
0: yeah totally so I actually started the business in its first kind of very simple incarnation beginning of 2013 um, I was working at distilled and uh, well in end of 2012 let's back up a few months in 2012 I had been doing some of my own consulting on the side from my you know my my consulting clients at distilled um, just to make some extra money and and all that and had basically gotten to the you know my position my income uh you know my salary from distilled that I didn't need to make any extra and basically realized I was single living in New York city, spending two weekends a month doing freelance work, um, you know, where I wouldn't leave my apartment. I was like, this is ridiculous. Uh, I'd much rather be out, you know, meeting people and, and I mean living in New York city. So I started getting rid of my freelance clients, which, uh, starting in like November, 2012, I started doing that and it actually worked out very well because in January of 2013, I met my now wife, so I was actually starting to get some time to, you know, to hang out with her. I, I much preferred to hang out with her than sitting on my computer doing, you know, freelance work. Um, and so my clients started asking me, well, who should we work with? Um, and then I had other people coming to me through my my personal website saying, hey, I'd like to work with you. And I was like, well, I'm not taking on work. And they started asking me, who should I work with? So I, I pinged my friend Brandon Doyle at Wallery Media and was like, hey, I have this lead for this person looking to do this. Would you be willing to pay $50 for it? And he goes, sure, what's your PayPal? So literally three minutes later, I had $50 in my PayPal account. Sent him the intro and was like, hmm, maybe there's something here. So then I went and bought a domain name. Um, Hiregun.co was the original uh, domain name. Kind of threw up a super bad booking in retrospect uh, WordPress site um, and kind of started it from there. and did it a bit, you know, through that year. Um, and then when I went in house, I, I kind of just like, kind of just let it go, but always thought that there could be something more there. Um, so it was kind of sitting there in the back of my mind for a while. And then when I, uh, you know, no longer had a job, I was like, well, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And how did
1: you, like, how did you get your first 10 customers?
0: My first 10 customers. So it was actually fairly easy for, uh, for Hiregun to get my first, uh, which is what credo was called in, at first to get my first 10 customers because the way the business worked, it was a, it was on a commission basis. So basically when I sent a lead to an agency and then they closed it into business, I would get paid a percentage of that, um, uh, you know, of what they were getting paid. So, uh, it was pretty easy, right? I basically tell people like, Hey, I have this lead, You know, would you want to talk to them? And if and if and only if you sign them, you know, then you pay me this. And they're like, yeah, great. Sounds like a no-brainer. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, pretty easy to find people to to send word to in that way. I think it it might be more useful to talk about uh this past May. So this past May, I switched the the business model to a a subscription model as opposed to um, just a pure commission model. So basically now agencies, consultants, et cetera, pay a monthly subscription to be listed on the platform. They're still vetted by me that everyone has to do a phone call beforehand before they're even allowed to, you know, to sign up and and you know and subscribe and pay. They do a phone call with me. I also find out who a couple of their clients are, go and look at the the data, you know, they tell me they're doing, you know, they've been doing SEO and, and link building for a client for 12 months. I go and I look at, you know, SEM Rush and OpenSight Explorer and and different tools like that to, to actually verify that they're good at what they do. Um, and there are also reviews, you know, public reviews on their profile, et cetera. So, you know, I get both the qualitative and the quantitative that they're good. Um, but so, yeah, the first 10, um the first 10 subscribers there to the you know, subscription uh, subscribers, apart from the people that are already on the platform that then, you know, chose to remain on, um, which many of them did there. Yeah, I mean, it, it was all from, you know, all the marketing that I would already been doing. Right. I've been working on it full time for six, seven months at that point. So people knew what I was doing every month I do. Uh, I just did it yesterday, um, on Twitter. I do an update for, you know, what is traffic done? What have leads done? You know, bounce rate, time on site, you know, all of that. Um, you know, so people can see like how it's growing every month. And so there are people that are literally like banging down my door like, let me be on the platform. I'm like, I have something for you, like, hang on. And so once I did, uh, once I opened it up there, were, you know, a bunch of people that were like, finally, I can you know, I can finally be on, uh, be on credo. So, um, yeah so it was all like the advanced marketing that I've been doing that really got me the first ten uh ten subscribers um apart from the people that I'd already been sending work to on the commission basis
1: so I guess we will discuss those tactics in more detail in the second part of the podcast, but one thing I wanted you to know in particular, and that's a question I ask when I hire people and i've I had a few jobs before I created my own business, and this was a question i've always asked, and I found the most insightful. So outside of this event, we discussed a few uh, a few times already during this podcast, was there any particular event in your life that made you who you are today?
0: I would say there are a couple of times in life that made me who I am today. So the, the most influential part of my life is most influential um, kind of periods in life that I've had. I actually lived in Switzerland for a couple of years and I lived in uh, basically it's a, it's an evangelical Christian hippie community. Um, it's kind of the best way I can describe it. Um, up in the Swiss Alps, I spent two years there total. It was during that time that I really learned how to think about um, how to think about the world, and also who to, how to think about who who I am and kind of what I'm, you know, supposed to do um, or or want to do, um, you know, while I'm here, uh, you know, while I'm alive. Um, and so, yeah, that really started me, you know, down the path of you know thinking about. Who I am, um, you know, I enjoy uh, working with people. I enjoy being transparent. Um, you know, I really enjoy writing. Um, I, you know, during that time, I had a lot of time to to write. Um, and the, the second year that I was there, I actually helped to run um, a company. So I was young, I was like, tw- I was 25, 26, and was working directly with the founder um, of this book publishing company. And he really taught me a lot about, you know, about business and yeah, I I just, you know, learned how to get to know new industries. And and through that, through that work, I kind of came into digital marketing, because I was I was living in Switzerland, speaking Switzerland, publishing English language books, and it was a bootstrap company. And I had, you know, no budget to go to like book conventions and that sort of thing. So basically, it was okay, how do I get eyeballs on these books? And so found, you know, SEO and content marketing and all that. So I found Moz and I found the distilled blog. And um, and different things like that. I had a web developer background. And so kind of all these different skills came together, you know, to allow me to, um, you know, learn marketing, but also, you know, kind of, in a way I was an entrepreneur, um, at that time. Right. And so kind of got, got bitten by that bug to be able to, you know, work on what mattered. Um, so yeah, I think that was, that was really the time 2009, 2010 was really the time in life that, um, kind of set me on this path that I'm on now.
1: And how did you learn, uh, development?
0: I was actually trained as one in, uh, during my university days. So I went to James Madison university in Virginia and, uh, was part of this super small, um, major there called technical and scientific communication. I did that. Uh, I, I actually went to that school at first because I wanted to do video, like video production. Um, I didn't get into that program. Which is, is kind of a, a long story, but basically I went there because I had been almost guaranteed by the director of that program that I would get in and I didn't get in. He's a friend of my father's who, uh, my father has worked at that university for 30 years now. Um, and basically I didn't get in. Um, and so then my father told me about this other major, um, which it doesn't sound super sexy on the tin, uh, but doing like documentation writing and press releases and that sort of thing. So it's very like structured writing but they had a, a an online publication concentration where basically we learned like HTML, CSS, uh you know, dynamic HTML and some JavaScript and jQuery and so that really got me um kind of started on the development track. And I knew that I didn't want to be a developer full time, um but having those skills, you know, in our current age is very uh very useful. So, um uh, yeah, so I got those I got those skills there kind of Uh, I'm not going to say by dumb luck, but just good fortune that, you know, I I didn't get into the program that I thought I wanted to be in um, and got and decided to do this other program.
1: Yeah, and I I think in today's world, uh, um, marketers who have knowledge in, you know, development and a little bit of coding or programming who have, who at least understand, the technical side of, of of digital marketing have an edge, have an advantage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, so I think yeah, you have an advantage. The ability to develop stuff and as well market them uh, is is quite interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I I think a lot more a lot more marketers would be well served to you know take a basic you know programming class, right? At least know, especially like like digital marketing, at least know HTML, CSS, and in and in this this day and age, understand you know JavaScript um, a bit more because it's becoming, especially in SEO, like it, you know, JavaScript is, is used so much more now and understanding how the search engines, um, you know, use it, um, or what they're able to crawl. All of that, um, is really going to be valuable. I think over the next, like, you know, three to five, uh, three to five years for sure.
1: Can you recommend any, like one resource in particular to learn the basics of
0: those languages for marketers? Learn the basics of those languages for marketers. So the team at Built Visible, um, which is formerly SEO gadget, they're based in the UK. Um, they've done a bunch on, they've written a bunch on um, like JavaScript and Angular for SEO. So I think that's the best, like the best place to start. And they link to a bunch of different resources off of there. So just search like, built visible javascript seo and and you'll find that resource.
1: Okay, interesting. So we touched on this subject before. I know like I know what happened to you like with your full-time job because you wrote about it. You didn't tell me. And sure. I think that's one of the of the key thing that I like about you is that you're being very transparent online. You're sharing as you mentioned numbers from uh, from Credo uh, in terms of metrics, bounce rate and stuff, but you're also sharing the dark side in a sense of entrepreneurship or life in general, right? I mean, you're not scared of, of sharing your weaknesses of sharing the mistakes you've made in the past. So why are you transparent?
0: That's a great, that's a great question. I think some of that goes back to my time in Switzerland where, you know, I really learned like who, who I am. I got comfortable with who I am, you know, as a person. Um, and I'm not defined by any one thing, you know, that I do, or, you know, that I say, or, you know, anything like that like I, I don't justify myself as you know a marketer and, and or you know a full time employee and so like if that went away then all of a sudden i have like a big crisis of who am i yeah i think that's i think that's part of it like i'm just i'm, I'm secure in who i who i am all, all, and all that is to say like i you know i definitely did have um challenges when i you know went out on my own um just getting used to the the entrepreneurial roller coaster because there are you know extreme highs and extremely, you know this all too well there are extreme highs and extreme lows and and those happen you know, multiple times a day when you're working full time, like, you know, you might have a a low day and a, you know, and an up day, but as an entrepreneur, it's like, you know, you're up at 9am and you're down at 10am, right? It's like, this is awesome. Oh, wait, I'm going to fail, you know, 30 minutes later. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Um, so getting used to that was, was definitely one, um, one thing, but I mean, I I think at the end of the day, like, uh, I'm, I'm a teacher. Uh, my parents are both educators. Um, I enjoy teaching as well. I enjoy, you know, sharing lessons and and kind of helping people be successful as well. And so being transparent with what, you know, with what I'm learning um, has has always just been a way that I've, that I've operated. And so I've just become a lot more comfortable over the years, just kind of sharing everything that I, you know, that I know. So yeah, part of me can't help but do it. There have definitely been times that I've shared too much and people, you know, in my life have gotten angry at me. But, you know, so I've kind of learned how to, you know, temper that and at least make sure that if, you know, if I'm talking about something that involves someone else, making sure that they're, that they're okay with me sharing that. Right. And trying to be, um, you know, as Rand Fishkin says, tag fee, right. And being, um, you know, being empathetic to other people and and what they're comfortable with. But, you know, if it's just me and stuff that I'm learning, like, you know, I'm, I'm an open book and I'm willing to share, to share anything because, you know, it helps other people, helps other people know that, you know, they're not alone. Other people, you know, that they see as successful and, you know, I don't really consider myself successful yet, but, you know, I'd say I'm on my way there, but, you know, people view me as successful and therefore, like if I'm sharing what I'm learning, you know, and sharing my struggles, then they also realize, that oh, it's actually natural to struggle. Everyone struggles. Everyone has the things that they're working through themselves. Um, and that really helps them, you know, continue on their own path.
1: Do you think there is any limits to being transparent? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I think what I what I just said about, you know, especially when it involves other people. I think that is, uh, that is my personal limit. So, you know, I try to be very, I I believe in letting other in being gracious to other people and basically giving other people the benefit of the doubt. I never want to throw anyone under the bus. Right. So, you know, there are definitely things, I mean, even like the, you know, the whole situation of me, you know, getting laid off, like there are certain people that I could just, you know, publicly blast and there's no reason for me to do that. Right. I want to allow people to save face. Um, so yeah, so, so trying to be, um, you know, as I said, empathetic, um, to other people and, you know, and, and good to other people because because I want people to be good to me. Right. I mean, if I deserve to get thrown under the bus, like I'm sure people will throw me under the bus. I've had people do it before, but you know, it doesn't feel good, you know, to be thrown under the bus or honestly to me to throw other people under the bus, um, cause it kills relationships. So, um, I think that is, that's the limit, um, for me.
1: In one of your other blog posts, you mentioned that's when you were in charge of a team, you one of the mistakes you thought you made was to be too transparent. You mentioned that it, you you were being too transparent and therefore you weren't protecting your team too much. Can you tell me more about this?
0: Yeah, so that one as a manager or as a business owner or, or something like that, you kind of when you have employees when you have people that are you know directly reporting to you, um, I think you kind of have to learn what each individual person is able to um, kind of like process and bear and bear themselves. So, um, yeah, I, I made the mistake of there, were, uh, there, there were a couple people that I I eventually realized that they basically couldn't handle the, you know, the ups and downs of what, um, you know, kind of what the, the, the brand that I was currently with was, was kind of the struggles that like different, you know, teams are having or different people are having working together. Um, and so really I should have, uh, you know, kept that to myself or, you know, just talked about it like with my manager or something like that. Um, so yeah, I I think that 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 was the, the, what I was really referring to there. Um, so when it comes to, yeah, people reporting to you, being very careful about like what you share, the different challenges that are going on, I think when it comes to your own peers and so people that are like, you know, if you're a director, people that are other directors, like within the, within the company, like they can really, um, you know, kind of empathize and, you know, and, and to put it bluntly, handle it, um, you know, and be able to to deal with it, you know, personally and emotionally, that sort of thing. And then, so, so I, I learned a lot about not communicating, you know, struggles down, but just communicating struggles up because that's why, you know, people that are, that are above you in the, you know, in the, the company organization, you know, they're there for a reason, right. Especially your boss. Like I was reporting to the C-suite. And so like my boss is, you know, she was incredible, you know, she, she is an incredible professional and, you know, it's been through a lot and is where she is for a reason. Um, and so that was really where I should have, that's really the only place I should have been going, you know, with that, with, with those struggles going on.
1: All right. That's an interesting aspect because yeah, transparency is kind of a buzzword at the minute a lot of people are starting to talk about it, but I think, yeah, there are limits to it. And in our own team, I've noticed many times that sometimes it's better to actually digest the information you get make sense out of it and then share it in a constructed, uh, manner instead of just being transparent every time for everything.
0: Especially. And, and, and I think one thing that I've learned is more junior employees need to feel very secure and, uh, you know, they, they, if they're not used to business and how a business is run, like business is messy. But when you first get into it, it doesn't feel like it's messy. It feels like, Oh wait, you know, everything just works well. You look at a company from the outside, you know, when you're a young employee, and you're like, wow, that company has everything figured out. And then you get inside and then you kind of find all the skeletons, right? Um, mm-hmm. And every company has its own problems. And so I, I think part of it is is maturity. Um, but yeah, like, you know, if you have a, a junior associate, they shouldn't know all the like, you know, just on the tin, like, you know, kind of struggles that are, you know, revenue struggles or whatever that are going on. Like you should, you know, you, you should take the time, as you said, to step as the owner or whatever, take the time to step back you know, what does this really mean for the company? And then communicating, um, you know, you don't have to go into the ins and outs of like, Oh, we lost this client or, you know, this, uh, you know, this customer, you know, quit because they're not happy with blah, blah, blah. You know, that should be communicated to the right people, but it doesn't have to be communicated to everyone. And so, but, but really saying, okay, you know, this event happened and this is what it means. And this is what we're doing moving forward. Um, and really giving that clear, that clear vision.
1: Let's let's close off this subject of transparency and now move on to the meat of, of this episode, which is really about digital marketing and, and helping those marketers to be better at their job and to help their company grow, whether it's a small business or a large organization. So is there any conventional wisdom about marketing and digital marketing in particular that you think are just plain wrong and we need to stop doing?
0: That's a great question. I think what one of the biggest struggles I have with digital marketing, kind of the, the digital marketing ecosystem is, and, and this has actually gotten better over the last couple of years, but there's still a lot of talk out there about like, you know, simple tricks or simple hacks, you know, to do things, to do things better. And, you know, th- there definitely are like individual things that you can do that can move the needle, but those are very far, far between. And so I, I think the thing that I like to impress upon people and the thing that I want people to know is it takes time, like good marketing takes time. And it's doing a lot of little things again, uh, again, and again, and again over time. And it's those those things that you do over time, that really add up and and move the needle for you. So yeah, I I get tired of like the and and I mean, I'm I'm guilty of doing this as well. And you know, you can find it on my company blog and all that as well. But like, you know, three simple tips to build an email list, right? Like, you know, those are great to kind of get you started. But you know, throwing up a a form on your blog, um, you know, and having a, you know, a pop-up that shows up 75% of the way down the page when people have scrolled that far, like, okay, those are a place to start. Um, but you know, then you have to keep measuring, keep optimizing all that. Like, you know, this stuff takes time and you're not going to get it right on the first try. Um, and so you kind of have to keep, uh, keep going with it. So I I think that's the biggest thing that I like to kind of dissuade people from is thinking that, okay, I can do a one-time SEO audit and then my SEO is done. Absolutely not. Like you can do a one-time SEO audit. It'll, you know, flag up the biggest things and you can fix those things. But then there is so much more that you have to keep doing over time, you know, to really see, uh, see success. And
1: talking about internet as in general, cause it's, it's a, it's a common place for, for all of us to be on. Like we spend most of our days on it now and it's, it seems normal. But a few years ago, like two decades ago or three decades ago, it wasn't here anyway. I think personally that internet is, is quite polluted with a lot of things that shouldn't be on there, like with a lot of ads and knowing ads and pop-ups and interruption and stuff, right? What do you think marketers could be doing to make internet a better place for people to to hang out
0: on? Fantastic question. I think w- one of the biggest things is uh, when it comes to talking about like content marketing specifically is not ascribing to the you know, the the more is better sort of mantra. Right. And, you know, basically saying, okay, I need to get out. Okay. I need to publish new content. First of all, like people talking about fresh content in content marketing, I think is kind of ridiculous. You know, some people will go and like refresh their homepage content every like three months because quote unquote, Google likes fresh content. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't work, but you know, people saying, okay, I need to, I need to have fresh content on my site. Therefore I need to publish three blog posts a week. But, you know, I only have time to write like three 500 word blog posts a week. And so that's good enough. I would actually prefer. And I, and I think if, if more people ascribe to this, the internet would be a better place where if you're writing a piece of content, like make it the best, the the single best piece of content for that topic on the internet, right? That's what's going to rank. That's what people are really going to get value from you, right? So instead of writing three 500 word, you know, blog posts a week, why not sit back and Uh, And pick one of those topics and write 1500 words on it, you know, and publish that. So I think, I think that's one of the things that people can do, can do best, like going for, you know, real, like high quality over, you know, just the, the, the quantity and, and breadth of content go deep.
1: I had, I made this point at a, at a conference recently. And one of the questions that I had from the audience was, well, I tried that, but it didn't work after two months. So we stopped and we, now we, we keep, we keep doing small articles, what would you say to this person?
0: I would ask them why they, why they decided to test doing longer content, right? Because if they were doing short content and they're like, well, this isn't really working for me, let's do this other thing. Why did you go back to what wasn't working? Also, you know, two months, like, yeah, I mean, two months is a decent amount of time, like, right? That's, that's 60 sleeps. It's what, probably 50 work days, you know, something like that. Probably fewer than that, probably 45 work days. But it's really not that long of that, that in the grand scheme of things is not that much time. And so I would also ask them like, okay, what were you expecting to see within these 60 days? Right. Um, like it, it takes a lot of effort to create a, you know, a, a really good 1500 word blog post or 2500 word blog post. So there, there's obviously something in their process that isn't working for them. Like, you know, were they not saying their expectations correctly for how long it was going to take to write it, edit it, promote it? you know, all of those things, right? Were they expecting to rank number one for all these things within like a week? You know, they probably need to recalibrate their expectations. So is an issue with, you know, with the process or with their expectations. And so I would actually dig further into that and, and really try to understand, like, what were they actually expecting to see, you know, within this timeline? And was that, and was that correct?
1: That's a good insight. So let's, let's do some role play, right? Let's imagine that you are in charge of a small, like you're a marketer, a digital marketer in a small business. Let's say, Five to ten people. Uh, you have obviously a limited budget. Let's say probably two grand or, or a grand a month maximum for marketing. You are selling something online. I mean, it could be software, it could be a product, could be an e-commerce site. You are tasked to to promote this business. What would you do
0: starting today? What would I do starting? today. That's a great, that's a great question. So yeah, if you're, if you're in a, a small business like that, right, five to 10 people, you're probably the only marketer, right? You don't have a marketing team. So you have a bunch of different things um, that you can do. So, so what I would say is as an individual marketer, figure out what are like, what are two or three different channels that you can, that you can test, um, you know, th- that you're also good at, that are also within your wheelhouse, right? So, you know, like, for example, I am not, uh, historically have not been a, a paid, you know, a paid acquisition marketer. So like AdWords, Facebook ads, that sort of thing is just not something that I did. Um, it's something that I've been learning, but, uh, but it's not something that I did. Right. So I understand, I understand SEO, I understand content, I understand promotion. Um, so, uh, you know, so I would figure out, okay, you know, what are the things that are really like worth my time, um, to do? And then what are the things that I should actually pay someone else, um, to do? Right. So, uh, So I I would look at it that way, right? Like I'm a really good, uh, I'm a good content creator, but, you know, I hate editing, Um, you know, so it's not worth my time to go back through and to, you know, spend time editing, you know, the stuff that I've written, like I would rather pay someone, you know, 50 bucks to, you know, to edit a a piece of content or something like that, right? Which 50 bucks is a really low, a low amount to pay someone to edit a really like long piece of content. But, you know, you, you get my point. So yeah, I would, I would go back to that. Like, what am I good at? And then, you know, what are the things that I'm not doing or the things that I'm, you know, that I hate doing that I can pay someone else to do, you know, for fairly cheap. Um, I just wrote a blog post yesterday written by Dan Martell, who founded Clarity FM and a couple other businesses um, that he wrote about lessons that he learned working or spending a week with Richard Branson um, in Switzerland a couple years ago. And basically uh, Richard and his team are really good at kind of outsourcing the things um, you know, that aren't worth, you know, Richard's time or, you know, his assistant's time or something like that. So basically the way Dan operates now is if he can get someone else to do something like for five bucks or 10 bucks, you know, something like that, uh, you know, th- that he could do, but, but he could get someone else to do for very cheap. So whether it's a virtual assistant, you know, out of Asia or somewhere like that, um, he, he's learned how to kind of how to delegate um, those sorts of tasks. So I think at, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Like, what is worth your time? What is not worth your time? If you can get someone to do something just as well as you can do it, you know, for cheaper than you can do it, then it's worth paying for. So first
1: step, pick two or three channels. If I understand well what you said, you need to pick channels that one, you have experience or that you're comfortable with. And two, that might, that are a good bet for your business in the industry you're in to invest in. Yep. Yeah. And um, I think there's a good book called Traction that actually helps you to choose the channel channels. I think there is like 19 channels in total you can pick from. There's a, like, there's a finite number of channels you can use. Uh, this book Traction is from the, the founder of, uh, DuckDuckGo, the alternative search engine, you know, from Google, okay. uh, Dan yep. yep. Google. So yeah, I think that's one of the resources so people can use, as you mentioned. So first step, you pick the channel that you're the most comfortable with. Second step.
0: Uh, start. Just start doing things. So, I mean, if you're picking a channel that you're comfortable with, then you understand not only the tactics, but you understand the strategy. So, part of picking the channel is also then putting together the the strategy. So, actually, step two is put together the strategy and basically figure out what are my you know what are my hypotheses and what do I think is going to move the needle, and then also looking at you know your your KPIs, your key performance indicators, and and, and that is contained within the strategy. What are we going to do? Why are we going to do it? And how are we going to know that it's going to be that it's successful or not? So, you know, if it's uh, if it's SEO, then, you know, if SEO is is one of the channels then putting together the strategy of, OK, um, you know, we're a pretty new site, we're a pretty small site, pretty new site. So, you know, do we have the necessary pages that we need on the site to rank for the keywords that we need to rank for? You know, that Google's, you know, ad planner tells us, you know, people are willing to pay, you know, to pay to get clicks for you know, so do we have pages for those that can rank organically? And then what, how many, you know, how many links, uh, what sort of link building are our competitors doing? And so, um, you know, w- what sort of link building strategy do we need to put together? And at the end of the day, how do we know that we're being successful? Right. I mean, really at the end of the day with SEO, it's, you know, directional indicators are, is our domain authority increasing? You know, are we getting more linking root domains? Um, you know, are we launching more pages, but then really at the end of the day, are we getting more traffic and are we getting more revenue from this channel? So, so that would be, that'd be step two. Put together, uh, put together your strategy and then decide on some of the tactics that you're going to do, um, and know what numbers you're going to measure in order to know, uh, you know, if you're on the right track.
1: So let's, let's talk about SEO in more details as I think this is the, the, the channel or, or the, 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 the marketing kind of activity that you're the most expert in. Let's say that we've decided that SEO is the number one channel we're going to use to help our business grow. As I'm, I'm, I'm just the, the only marketer. So you touched on the steps you will take. So let's drill down into those steps. The first one is you said to basically audit your current assets, your current pages, and to know whether you can rank for those. Right. Yep. Do you have any tools uh, that you could recommend for people to use for this particular task?
0: Yeah, I mean the the best tool that I use for this when it comes to clients and and there are other people that w- that would recommend some other uh different tools but the the tool that I that I go to is SEMrush. Um so SEMrush you can basically put in your um put put your website into there right it's a it's a paid tool you can get some data for free. Um I have a subscription to it um but you can put in your you know your website and it'll tell you like um, you know, the keywords that you're currently ranking for, um, uh, you know, keywords that are relevant to your, you know, to your site. then you can also go and you can look at your competitors as well and say, you know, okay, I'm running, you know, X site, this, you know, plumber website, but you know, what are other plumbers in my area, you know, currently ranking for, and then you can kind of, uh, you can, you can, you know, download the data and do magical things that in Excel and say, okay, you know, I'm ranking for these 20 keywords. This competitor mine is ranking for these like 250 keywords. You know, how are they doing that? So, yeah, that, that's where that's where I really um, where I really start right there. Um, you know, just looking at and and that gives you an idea of overall, like what is the opportunity for you, you know, within that vertical. And then you can put together the, the strategy from there of, you know, what pages do we need to launch? Do we need a new section of our site? Do we need to re-optimize the pages that we currently have? Um, you know, and then you can use tools like, uh, like open site explorer or Ahrefs or something like that. looking at your competitors. What, you know, what pages are they getting links to, you know, what assets have they been creating, what assets do you have your, on your own website, which you can get via, uh, screaming frog, you know, or, or different crawler tools like that. Um, you know, so you, you know, especially if you're coming into a site that's already been going for a while and there have been other marketers working on it and they've created other assets, you're going to find assets you didn't even know existed. So when I start, so to give a, a real-world example, when I started at Hotpads, I was the first marketer there in about uh, two and a half years. So you know they they had a, a product team, uh, they're phenomenal engineers over there, um, some of the best engineers I've ever worked with in my life but they, they hadn't had any marketing for quite a while. they had had marketers beforehand that had created, you know, different like monthly rent reports and that sort of thing. So, you know, just by, by doing a, a crawl with screaming frog and kind of discovering different content assets that they had, and then also looking at open site explorer, and their top link two pages, I was able to discover, you know, what, what they had done in the past that worked. Right. So I wasn't reinventing the wheel. I could say, okay, this has worked in the past. So what can we do, um, you know, current day and moving forward, you know, that's, that's going to replicate, you know, the success and even take it to the next level. When you say what worked, what indicators do
1: you use to see whether those pages worked?
0: So for that, it was purely getting links to the site. So we were thinking about link building and because we, you know, it's the apartment rental space, house rental space is a very competitive industry. So, you know, we knew that we needed more links in order to be able to rank. And we're doing a lot of technical changes and, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, You know, I got in and did a technical audit, you know, off the bat. But when we were thinking about, Uh, link building was okay what have we done in the past that's got that's worked to get links um, for the site or even better what's gotten links in the past that you know currently isn't uh, we're not using that link equity to help our other pages rank right so like what you know what internal links can we build that sort of thing to you know to to use this link equity that we already have but then also moving forward how can we get new links you know to our website um, as well
1: okay that's a good kind of SEO Blueprint to start with and to really have a good understanding of your, of your website and what to do next. I think you touched on that briefly uh, and I think that's something we could discuss now. N- now let's say that you're not the only marketers in the team. Let's say that you're working for a bigger company and you have a team of marketers with you. Let's say five to 10 people. Mm-hmm. And one of the tactics you've chosen to, to really leverage is content marketing. Now yeah. the issue is you guys have a lot of good content, but nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to read. What would you do if you were in this situation?
0: In that situation, I would question if you actually have good content. If you think that you have good content and no one cares about it, no one wants to share it, no one wants to link to it, then obviously you're not putting out what your audience needs. So I would actually go back to the drawing board and, and go and do customer research and say, okay, you know, what, what do people in the apartment rental space, for example, really care about? So, you know, going and doing your keyword research and, you know, and all those sorts of things, what sorts of questions are people asking, um, you know, uh, and, and then at the heart of it, like what is involved in, so, so where I went with hot pads is what do people, uh, really care? What does our audience really care about? What are they really thinking about when they're looking to rent a place, right? Not just like how many veterans does it have and how much does it cost and that sort of thing? Because a, a lot of those, uh, what, what we found is that, uh, a lot of those, um, people are kind of loose on, right? So if they say that they can pay. a month to rent a house, um, they can probably make $2,100 or $2,200 work, right? And if they say they want a one bedroom, if they can find a two bedroom for the same price or $100 more than what they said that they can pay, they're probably going to do that, right? So like those sorts of things don't really matter. But what they really care about is, you know, it might be entertaining, um, you know, friends. So having a space to entertain their friends or having a backyard, you know, for their dogs, they're a pet owner and they love getting outdoors, right? Or accessibility to the outdoors. And so for a lot of people actually finding a place to rent is pretty emotional, you know, and and so like how it, you know, how it makes them feel and does it fit their needs, um, as opposed to is it a one bedroom for under $2,000. Um, that second one is a very static one. The first one is, is much different. So actually getting into that kind of th- those emotional needs of, you know, what they're really looking for. And then you can craft content around that. So we did things like, you know, is it cheaper? How, how much money are you going to save in the major metros if you, you know, get a, get a one bedroom apartment with your, uh, with your significant other, as opposed to, you know, having two separate studio apartments. Um, and we launched that around Valentine's day, right? So it wasn't the typical, uh you know, typical content around Valentine's day, but it was, uh, you know, more of an emotion, you know, money is emotional at the end of the day for a lot of people. And so, Oh wow, I can actually save a lot of money. And that makes me feel good by, you know, moving in with my, uh, you know, with my significant other, getting married or whatever as opposed to, you know, having your own place and having quote unquote independence. Yeah. So, so I'd actually go back to your original question. I would go back and rethink, you know, your concept of what is good content or quality content within your own industry. If those are the sorts of things that you're running into.
1: So you you mentioned customer research and you mentioned one tactic within customer research to really understand those people. You mentioned keyword research, any other tactics that people should use?
0: One big one that not not enough uh, market, especially digital marketers who are very, like, uh, very data driven is surveys. A lot of people don't go and, you know, and, and survey their, uh, survey their audience and, you know, figure out the things that they really care about. Right. And just asking open-ended questions like, you know, when you're looking for an apartment, what are the things that, uh, that come to mind other than price and, uh, you know, number of bedrooms. Right. And so people will say like, well, what I really care about is this, right. Or even ask open-ended questions like, what do you enjoy doing? So th- that can really, that can really help. And that kind of gives you more of like the the qualitative stuff. Uh, so, so I think, so surveys, but then if we even go a step broader than that, um actually talking to your customers, like one of the best things that I do with my own business Credo now is when someone, when someone new signs up to the platform within the, after they've been on for about a month, what I like to do is I actually like to hop on the phone with them again and say like, okay, you know, you've been on for a month, you know, give me your like. You're completely open feedback, right? Like I want criticism. I welcome criticism. I want to make this, you know, the best platform for you to get new business, you know, new digital marketing business through. So, what are the things that, you know, that that the platform currently does that you hate that I need to fix? And what are the things that it doesn't do that would make your life better? Um, and that always flags up different things. You know, just last week I did a, I had a conversation with a, a guy that had been on for about a month, and he flagged up a couple of things I hadn't even considered. And, and some of that is in the messaging and some of it is also, you know, product changes that I need to make. So just getting that customer feedback is, it helps you get into their psyche. It, also, it can also give you very like, actionable things to go and do um, to, to quickly make an impact for people.
1: Customer research. So as you mentioned, number one, talking to people on the phone, uh, on Skype, on real life, sending surveys and keyword research. Uh, so th- those are three great stuff. Um, one of the last, last thing I wanted to touch on in content marketing is let's consider that you, you created good content. Content is good. You know, from research that people will connect with it. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you're, the company is quite new and you don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of emails collected. You don't have a lot of people following you on social media. Mm -hmm. How would you go about promoting this content out there?
0: I would go. So what I would do then is I mean, it's kind of a buzzword, but I think it um, I, I think that the tenets of that hold true is is finding the influencers within your um, within your space. Right. Who currently owns, you know, big email lists within your, you know, within your, your space, who's talking about the stuff that, you know, that you do. Right. So if you're a if you're a new like social media tool, you know, you're a social media agency and you're putting out stuff like you're going to go and you're going to find people like Buffer or you're going to find like Michael Hyatt you know, you're going to find Ramit Sethi, like people, you know, people like that, that, you know, own huge email lists, right. That, um, you know, they're committed to putting out quality stuff. And so if you're putting out quality stuff as well, um, they're going to want to share it because it's going to add value to their audience. Right. So you can kind of uh, piggyback on their success, um, you know, and not doing it in like a, you know, spammy way at all, but like genuinely adding value to them, getting to know them, right? You know, who are the, who are the buffer founders? What do they care about? Right. You know, and, and actually engaging with them and building that relationship because over time relationships are what matter. So it doesn't matter if you're a, you know, you're a small business that, um, that no one knows about yet. Um, or if you're, you know, you're a huge business, um, you know, huge publicly traded company, relationships are what matter in business at the end of the day. So, so yeah, so, so very, very tactical and very actionable is who owns those big email lists, um, right? Who has the most authoritative websites that, you know, get a lot of traffic and has your ideal audience. And then strategically, how can you, you know, go about building a relationship with the peop not the website, but with the people, you know, that actually do the stuff, right? And that might not be, you know, the chief operating officer who's the base of the company. It might be the content manager who is the one actually producing the content. Right. So you don't need to get to know, you know, Leo or Joel at Buffer because they're super busy. They're, you know, operating the business. They're not in the business working on it, writing content for the most part. You need to get to know Kevin Lee, who is their, you know, their blog editor for or their their content manager. I think is his title. You know, for example, he would he would be the best one for you to get to know, you know, if you want to, for example, get a guest post on the Buffer blog.
1: And um, what tools would you recommend at least one to to find those people?
0: Follower wonk, I think is still the best, uh, the best tool currently owned by Moz. I know they're looking to um to to sell it to someone who wants to keep it going as they're refocusing back onto SEO. But um that's a that's a great one. And then I'm gonna plug my friend's tool here. I haven't actually used this one, but I know that it's very useful for uh for influencer marketing. It's called Intellifluence. So intelligence and influence put together in Intellifluence.com, run by Joe Sinkwitz, um, who's a fantastic a uh, fantastic marketer. So yeah, they launched that a couple of months ago. And I, I think they're having some, some really good success with that. So if you're looking for, you know, influencer marketing, helping people or finding people t- to help you promote your brand, like I, I would definitely check that tool out as well.
1: Nice one. I've, I've never heard of this. So I'll definitely check it out. And we will add it to the notes. Uh, anyway, last question I wanted to ask you around marketing and SEO in particular, what resources did you use to learn your craft to learn SEO?
0: So there are two, if someone is looking to get into SEO now, there are two resources that I would recommend that they check out. One of them is one that, that helped me get started. The other one is actually one that helped create. Um, first one is, it's still the Moz Beginner's Guide to SEO is still like the best place to start. When I started my first job, full-time job in SEO in 2010 in Philadelphia, my manager there had a printed out copy of the Beginner's Guide to SEO sitting on my desk. And I carried that around in my backpack for the next year. Um, I think I still have it somewhere. It's just like it's so written on and marked up. Like I remember sitting in the laundromat doing my laundry in Philadelphia reading The Beginner's Guide to SEO. So, you know, definitely uh, finding de- – definitely reading that and kind of uh, – you know, that, that's a great place to kind of give you a base and get started and go from there. Um, and then the second one, it's a, it's a, paid, uh, it's a, it's a paid course but still you distilled.net/u. Uh, the letter U is—it's uh, a course that I helped um, create when I was at um, at Distilled, um, and they kept it going. They keep adding new content to it, you know, changing things as the the world of SEO changes. But I think it's like forty dollars a month, and I, I just learned recently that they, it's three hundred sixty dollars paid up front for the year, so you get like you know access to it for a full year, and it will teach you you know technical SEO and um, you know outreach and link building and and all of these sorts of things. Just a, and I know a lot of agencies that one of the first things that they do, they give their, um, pr- first they give their, they have their new SEOs go and read, the uh, beginner's guide to SEO. And then they give them a distilled you subscription and say, you know, go through this. And you can also, you know, mark off, you can take quizzes and, you know, basically pass the different modules. Um, and then managers can see, you know, how well, uh, their people are doing, um, on this. So they know where they need to do more training. Um, so those are the two, Moz beginner's guide to SEO and distilled you.
1: Thanks for that. Thank you for, for, for taking the time to go through those tactics in marketing because it's, I think it would be really helpful for a lot of people and a lot of people listening. Who else? I think, I think I know who you're going to say, but we'll see. Who else do you think I should interview next?
0: That's a great question. Who else do I think that you should interview? So the, the people that I, that I love hearing from, I mean, I'm super glad that you're going to interview like, uh, you know, Jason Freed and Rand Fishkin and, and people like that. One of the, I, he's super busy and I, I don't know if he's actually doing um, interviews and such right now, but Tim Ferriss is someone that, you know, I greatly respect um, in the entrepreneurship world. And he shares so much of what he's, of what he's doing. Like he's a very, he, he's a teacher and he, he's super open and, you know, he shares his struggles and um, you know, he, he creates everything in public. Um, and then actually um, increasingly uh, Dan Martell, um, who I've mentioned before, uh, founder of Clarity. Um, now he's, you know, helping entrepreneurs uh, build their businesses. Um, so Dan is a, Dan's a great guy. I know his wife Renee pretty well. And so, um, yeah, I think Dan would be a great one uh, for you to get on.
1: Interesting. And he's I'll...
0: he's super high, high energy, super tactical. Just a, a really like really fun person, you know, to listen to and to learn from.
1: Great. I'll definitely check them out. I do listen to Tim ferry's podcast most, uh, most mornings. And he's a, he's a character. He changed, he changed a lot of lives, uh, which is probably one of the key metric of success in life is you, you've influenced that many people, you know, you've done something right. Totally. Right. So where can listeners connect with you and find your website, your blog, etc.?
0: Yeah. So there are, there are three main places that you can find me doing stuff these days. I'm most active on Twitter, twitter.com slash Doherty, J F D O H E R T Y J F. Super transparent on their combination of sharing, you know, useful links and then also what I'm eating for dinner, um, which is what Twitter was, it was, uh, was initially supposed to be. So there's that. There's my personal blog, uh, johnfdoherty.com, which used to be super like tactical marketing. Now it's more like entrepreneurship focused, just like, you know, things I'm learning. And then the final one is my company website, uh, Credo. It's get getcredo.com, G E T C R E D O.com. Twitter account is Twitter.com slash getcredo but yeah, uh, credo and the the credo blog is, I I try to publish on there about once a week. Um, and I've also had my own podcast going there. Um, wrapping up season one right now, I call it the credo cast. Basically I, I interview, uh, agency founders and entrepreneurs, um, you know, asking them about their, you know, entrepreneurial journeys and kind of how they got their start, um, running their own business. So, um, yeah, that's not on, on iTunes and SoundCloud and such yet, but that is on my, uh, on my to-do list for the for the near future so check that out as well you can find that on the on the credo blog as well
1: great stuff um so thank you for, for thanks the i want to thank the, the listeners first to to have spent the last 50 minutes with us uh obviously we share all the notes and all the things that uh, john shared um all the tools he mentioned all the people he mentioned because he, he mentioned a lot of uh, very interesting resources john thank you once again for your time my pleasure thank you for having me and i'll talk to you soon all take care So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.